Hey, it's Chris Edgerly, a.k.a. The Edge Voice, and you're about to listen to an audio version of an interview I've done on my streamcast on Twitch. Now, if you'd like to see the video along with it, you can find it in the links below, or you can just go to my YouTube channel, Chris Edgerly, a.k.a. The Edge Voice. Hope you enjoy it. God, yeah. that's so funny that I do, last season for F is for Family, I do a lot of, like, Vince Vaughn scratch for mm. his character, and I'm thinking, because we don't know what Vince was going to do. We just knew Vince was going to play the part. Right. And so, all right, just do your Vince Vaughn. So I do my Vince Vaughn and we have a great time. We have a lot of laughs. All right, everything's great. And then Vince comes in and he does the character completely different. Yeah, he, he's, he's a Southern not, guy. And I thought, yeah. yeah, I thought, well, I guess, uh, <laughs> I guess the timing maybe was good. Maybe my <laughs> lines took as long as his. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, that's one of my great honors uh, is scratching for Sam Rockwell. I got to say that that's one of my and great it's a, honors. It's a very impressive Sam Rockwell. And, and I've done like one episode of Sam early on before they said, nah, let's just have Trevor do it. You know, and <laughs> Sam's got something you can hold on to, you know, when you're finding the voice. Absolutely. But there's just a way that you do it is just you're right there in his wavelength. You know, well, he I mean, I. I'm a huge Rockwell fan. I think he's yeah. just a, a a master of of the craft. He's the master. Right, right. But but to to hear him on on our show too, I'm just like, oh man, he's just he's just perfect for this. He's just perfect for it. Yeah, and a lot of times when you get to see these guys are working on these shows, you go, I wonder how they chose so and so to be on this and so and so to be on this. And you start going back through their careers and you realize, oh well, Sam Rockwell was in Iron Man two. And Iron Man 2 is produced, I think, by Peter Billingsley, who yeah. is also produced in Iron Man. And they know Vin he knows Vince Vaughn. And Vince Vaughn is producing F is for Family. And these guys, I think, go back. I actually met Peter Billingsley in, like, 1997 yeah. when I was doing comedy with uh, guys that Peter knew. And Peter, at the time, owned um, a production house that made trailers. Oh, yeah. And that was one of the things he was doing. And he was just like, hey, I'm a fan of comedy. He was this nice guy to talk to and, and all that. And, and, and then, like 10 years later, he's in Iron Man and he's producing <laughs> Iron Man. And I thought, holy shit. Yeah. That, oh, my God. You know, and like, I'm not I, surprised. But I had that really stupid experience so with him. Because, yeah. you know, I met him in person and I was like, this guy's oddly familiar. Why is he so familiar? Christmas story. Yeah, but I I'd never seen Christmas Story. Oh, you so never that, seen it? No, I had never seen it. So that Christmas, like a few months after recording the first season, I'm at home. Uh, I'm with my friend Sam. He's like, "Oh, we'll put on the Christmas Story." I'm like, "Oh God, I've never seen it." I'm watching the show, going, "I feel like I've seen this before. Why?" <laughs> and it was halfway through that I went, "Oh my God, that's my boss!" Yeah, <laughs> just so weird. Yep. And then I talked to Mike, uh, uh, Mike Price. I was mm -hmm. I told him the story, and he said. Yeah, maybe not bring up uh, Christmas Story with Peter. That's a, that's a source. It's like okay. Uh, Is he I just tired? Care. I guess he's just tired of hearing about yeah, it. You know? Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's like I have done other stuff. Shoot your eye out. Shoot your eye out, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to still be an Ephesus for family? Yeah. Okay, then don't bring it up. Maybe not bring it up. Don't bring it up. You can bring up all the other movies he's produced. <laughs> How, but seriously, that's an incredible career. To go from working as much as you do as a kid and then to become one of the most successful producers in Hollywood. Yeah. And I mean, that's a hell of a second act. Yeah. Right and then there. to have to slum it with jackasses like us on a stupid little Netflix cartoon. Yeah, I'm, I know. And just to think, eh, or Beth. okay, fine, fine. Yeah. And then uh, Go Mon is one of the producers of the show, you know, one of the entities behind the show. And Go Mon is this major French production company. And I'm thinking, oh. I can't believe they're making this, this animated series. Yeah. 
Yeah. Narcos or efforts for family? Same thing, basically. Yeah, they're peas <laughs> in a pod. I mean, you, you choose one, they suggest the other one. See, we take these turns. We don't see them coming. We just take these turns. This is this is what a you know what? This is a conversation that we would have had if there was no pandemic. I said, all right, I tell you what, I'll meet you out at this bar. Yep. And you get this round, I'll get the next round, and then I'll be on the floor because I haven't had more than two <laughs> drinks in a day since, oh my God, like in 15 years. Oh, and lucky I, guy. Lucky yeah, guy. yeah. I wish. I wish. I, I, well, you know, th there's, there's a different rhythm to life right now, and I understand if people are doing things they wouldn't normally do as a coping mechanism. I mean, my God, you have to, you have to make sense of it all somehow. But I remember it was back in June, I went for my yearly checkup. And, you know, they, they do it in the office because, you know, it's a yearly checkup. We got to get in there. And so, you know, the doc's wearing his visor. I'm wearing my mask. We're having a conversation. And I said, have you noticed a lot of changes in people's health from the pandemic? He goes, actually, most of my patients are a little bit healthier. They're not eating out as much. They're cooking for themselves more and they're exercising more because they got nothing else to do. Right. And I thought, I wonder how long that's going to last because as soon as a vaccine, a viable vaccine hits and everyone can take their masks off safely, my God, I don't know what we're going to do to ourselves as a country, but it's going to be it's going to be one long people. cheesecake factory visit. I oh, think. yeah. There's a lot of people suggesting many people are saying that I, uh, I just, you know, just people. This could be, you know, the roaring 20s all over again. You know, the, yeah. this time next year, once uh, Moderna and Pfizer roll that shit out, you know. <sighs> Well, I think the one thing that may help is that if the vaccine is viable, I think it's one of those two-stage vaccines where you have one hit and then six months later you have another. So you get some immunity and then you get the rest of it. So it might be after the first hit, people kind of lose their minds a little bit. But after the second hit, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be Cirque du Soleil in the streets. It could it's, be. I mean, uh, I mean, Vegas could have a whole resurgence. Oh, thing. man. Buy yeah. your buy your stock now in uh, that in, will be uh, interesting. I would definitely want to own an airline stock. Oh yeah, when the pandemic lifts and own a hotel stock. I mean, I'm telling you, man, I got I got back in the market a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't been in a long time, and a whole bunch of my stuff is in that stuff. Is I'm it like, really? Yeah, that's probably not a bad time. idea. Mm -hmm. One year's time. You got to know how to time it. That's true. Yeah, and I think this is what we plan on doing because I I am supremely confident that we will get through this as far as the pandemic goes. I don't know what we're going to do about, about our phones, about our technology. I truly don't know. I truly don't know. Um, I don't know if we're capable of overcoming it, but I do see it as if you've seen the movie 2001, mm. which I've seen many times and I've read the book, the movie is phenomenal. The book was written at the same time as the movie. Kubrick and Clark were making both of them together. They would share wow, they notes. So one of the things about the monolith in 2001, spoiler alert, is it's alien life form. They're doing what they call space farming. They're lonely. They live light years away and they're lonely. They've reached such an advanced stage of existence that there's nothing else for them to do. They just want company. And they're looking for viable civilizations that they can help advance to their level so they can have company. Huh. basically. And the monolith is this large black prism that they just, boom, set down and it finds viable species and it gives them a little jolt, a little boost, helps them turn an evolutionary corner and it helps them progress so they don't die or go extinct. 
And the one that comes along in 2001 happens when man learns how to use tools. Why does he learn how to use tools? Because he was starving. He was not a carnivore. He was only eating nuts and berries and he wasn't getting enough protein. And the race, the, the human species, at the time it was ape, ape-like, but it was dying out. The monolith appears and gives it a jolt and it learns how to use tools and it learns how to stalk and kill prey, eat meat and get stronger and takes us all the way up to where we are now. The point being, this is something I think that we have to learn how to use appropriately or it will destroy us. I don't mean mm -hmm. to sound apocalyptic, but we need another monolith to show up and teach us, give us that jolt as to how to uh, get around this. And the funny thing is, I told this to a friend of mine who's a Trump supporting friend. He's a very smart guy. And he says, oddly enough, you notice how your phone is shaped kind of like the monolith. It's this long black thing that we have to learn how to use and it has to show us how to evolutionarily advance. I think we need a monolith moment to show us how to cope with technology. Otherwise, we could, uh, we yeah, could that's off true. ourselves. But you know, the the my perspective on it is, I look at I look at well, it's not even mine. I stole it from somebody far smarter than I. But it's when you look at the great technologies that have shaped our current society, yeah. right? like the uh, the telephone, the uh, railway, yeah, uh, the, the 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 factory system, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> All of these things started out as these. Uh, they started off as playthings for the rich, normally, uh, right? And then they became ubiquitous. Then they became very useful. And they then they became monopolizing at right. the point where, oh my God, uh, you know, the 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 horseless carriage is driving all the buggy makers out of business. And right. and oh no, no, this is such a disaster. And what's going to happen? Our whole society is going to crumble. And what happens every single time? The government steps in with regulation and says, okay, yeah. okay, all right, this is how we're going to deal with this. And they do it every single time for all of these new inventions. So I think, and this could be this could be the one thing that both Democrats and Republicans actually agree on is the fact that the tech companies need to be regulated somehow. Mm -hmm. Because I think we're there. I think we're at that point now where the horseless buggy guy is out of work and someone needs to do something about those horseless carriages ripping up the roads. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that it, it's it's it may be the one issue that both sides can get together on and go, you know what? This is fucking us both. I think, uh, yeah. I think we need to deal with this. Well, yeah, that's what my wife and I talk about. She gets, I mean, she gets outraged far more than I do. She just has an injustice detector that is finely tuned. Hmm. And whereas I, I just sort of go, oh, yeah, that's a shame. And then I go back, where's the popcorn? Was that? Yeah, yeah okay. Um, and she'll say... That she'll see a news channel, news channel, and they'll they'll report something that's just untrue. You know, usually it has to do with Fox News or OAN is her new thing. Like right. we don't watch OAN, we don't look at OAN. I'll occasionally breeze by it and go, "Yeah, that's the fucking awful," and then I'll just keep going. But she'll say they shouldn't be allowed to say that. I say I don't know what law you can enact to keep them from saying that. They're not slandering anyone and they're not libeling anyone. And Those are the violence. Exactly. They're not using fighting words, which are, it's not just something you hear in a Western. It's a literal, it's a literal legal precedent, fighting yeah. words. So they're not inciting violence against a particular person at a specific time. Like you can say, I think you should kill all the, the doctors. You can say that. You cannot say, I think you should kill uh, so-and-so, this particular doctor who resides at this address right now, that's illegal. So 
when she justifiably gets outraged at a news platform that spreads obvious, blatant misinformation, I say to her, I understand, and yet legally they're within their rights to do it. So unless you do the equivalent of uh, warning labels on cigarettes, I don't know how else you get around it. That's a deep discussion that needs to be had legally and politically. The problem is um, these news organizations are owned by such massive companies that they can pay politicians to look the other way. Yeah. So then you need campaign finance reform so that you can't have money influencing decisions. But the only way you get that is if you get enough politicians to vote it into law. And how can you do that when news organizations are driving their constituents so far apart that none of them can risk their political lives to vote on it? And this is why I say, fuck it. It's Madrid. Let's yeah. go move to Madrid. <laughs> the apparatus we need to use to change this to make life more livable, I think, is already... Um, structurally compromised. And so that's why I get cynical sometimes. Well, you can also understand, I mean, this is exactly the reason why uh, both Bernie and Trump had such huge followings in 2016. Yeah. This is exactly the reason is because yeah. people are, whether they can explain it or not, they're aware of this happening and they know it's wrong and they know it needs to be changed, but yeah. they don't know how. And they have two populists, one on the left, one on the left, uh, one on the right, who come along and basically say the same thing. Everything's got to go. Everything's got to go. We got to start again. We, you know, we got to, we got to, we, we have to have a revolution yeah. or we have to drain the swamp. Or, I mean, whatever. It's the same fucking thing, right? Something what, did, what was your take on Bernie? You know, I saw Bernie speak a week before he uh, announced his candidacy to, uh, to run in 2016. I saw uh, him at, at a hotel in uh, <clears throat> and I have to say, uh, I was so swept up by his charisma. Mm -hmm. I remember watching this guy speak, and and I was just like, this this guy's the real thing. Th mm -hmm. This guy is the real thing. He he has. He's the real thing. And I donated to his campaign. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even vote, like I said. But I gave him, you gave him 100 bucks because, right. you know, um, then years went on. <clears throat> my perspective shifted. I realized now, I, I, now if I had to vote for Bernie Sanders, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. But I, uh, I, I, certainly, I certainly thought he, he also radiates an authenticity. He yeah. radiates a, a, um, a genuine desire to change things for the better but he's also further on the radical side of of the left right you know? so that's uh, where he lost you that his ideas were a little bit too much you think yeah. okay and the funny thing is i believe you when you say the authenticity because i liked him in the beginning as well i just thought kind of the same thing like in the primary in california in 2016 i voted for him i thought let's give him a shot i'm not a democrat anyway it doesn't matter and i live in california hillary was going to win the state by 30 which she did um, the funny thing is the authenticity is what I always remembered about him. Politically, he's the exact same person he was in 1968. He's right where you left him. Authenticity is the one thing I know that Trump has never had and never will have, which has always amazed me. It's like, he's telling you people that he's going to drain the swamp. You have no idea what you are letting yourself in for. You have no idea the amount of corruption you are about to see. And by God, if he didn't deliver on, and yet that's the one thing—that's the one thing that Trump supporters always tend to say, or I always know. say that they're so uh, enamored by his authenticity. And I, I know, I, I think I understand what they're what they're trying to say there, because you know, I think what they're trying to say is that 
he he's not afraid to speak his mind. He's not afraid to say the thing that might be whatever politically incorrect or or, or whatever the case is. And there's there are people that are uh, very uh, enamored by that because mm-hmm. they feel like the far left has taken over the realm, uh, the, taken over the the levers of cultural power, and you're not allowed yeah. to say it's not. Allowed. And here's a guy who comes along and says, "I'm going to say whatever I want," and so they think, "Oh, well, that's authentic." Well. Yeah. That's a type of authenticity, but he's yeah. lying to your face. How many times does he have to say to you, I love the people who don't have education. I love yeah. them. I think the best because, you know, <laughs> they'll vote for whatever. They'll, and I'm like, do you not? Does no one else hear what he's tell? He's telling you he's going to grift you and you're fine with that. That's uh, yeah. Uh, That's something my wife would say. She said she used to do this a lot. She'd say Chavez did that. Right. Chavez did that. She said, Chavez told people in advance he was going to fuck them. Right. And he did it and they didn't care because they thought he was very charismatic. And yes, I agree. Trump is very charismatic to certain people, not yeah. to everybody. No, but he's clearly ve- not. He's, yeah, clearly not. But he's extremely charismatic to certain people because they love that he says things that liberals hate. Mm-hmm. They love that others hate him. And... Yeah. The people they hate happen to hate him. And yes, it's true. When when he talks incessantly about how awful China is and his ties are made in China, yeah. that should tell you something. Oh, when yeah. he talks about illegal immigrants and he hires them to help build his casinos, that should tell you something. And so, yeah, there's a way to, as they say in acting, if you can fake authenticity, then you've got it made. Well, he, <laughs> he learned how to fake a certain kind of authenticity that people yeah. just absolutely loved. And yeah, um, you've always got to be on the lookout for that kind of thing. And, yeah, you know, it, it can come really, from anywhere. He really is one of those guys that comes along once in a generation. He is one of those guys that has this uh, indefinable charisma and this in, indefinable magnetism. And as I said before, thank God he was a man of little vision. Yeah, because yeah. If he had the nationalistic fervor that uh, a Stalin or or a, a Hitler or a Pol Pot or you know the 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 ideological yeah. fervor of a Pol Pot or or a, any of those you know fine fine fellas <laughs> throughout the twentieth yeah. century, then we'd be in real trouble. Yeah, way more trouble than we are. So I thank I thank God every day a God that I don't actually believe in, but I think of anyway, yeah. he is, he's a tiny, tiny little man of no vision. I'm just, Oh, that's the, that's the one. Yeah. We had that going for us. Plus we had a nation with a pedigree that was different than the other nations that were taken over. Yes. A lot of the other nations that were taken over by despots were former monarchies. Yes. So there was already a DNA strain of people just being okay with being told what to do and yeah. never questioning the leader. And, and you know, yeah, I, yeah. I've said I've said before that that America, there's something that, that's different about America than the yeah. rest of the, the world, and that is certainly one of those things. This yeah. idea of, I mean, the old cliche of "Don't tread on me." That that's yeah. a real thing. That's a yeah. real difference. Where, you know, I, I've never experienced a country before where people are so fiercely independent. Don't mm-hmm. you fucking tell me what to do. And I gotta yeah. say, that kind of appeals to me. I'm like, yeah, I like that. Yeah. I, I like that that. That there's a system in place that supports that, you know, you can, and it's like any other tool. You better make sure you use that attitude properly. Like you realize a mask will help save you and other. Don't you fucking tell me what to do. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm merely telling you how to not kill yourself or others. 
I thought I told you not to tell me what the... Yeah. Okay. Fascism! Totalitarianism! You're telling me how not to kill my neighbors? Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Fine. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But we as a country had just enough uh, firewalls in place to survive this this stress test. But um, I think John Meacham, the historian, was on Bill Maher a year or so ago. And he said um, Bill was constantly flabbergasted that people would vote for Trump and that Trump was president. And John Meacham said, I'm surprised it took us this long to get a Trump. <laughs> we were over 200 years old. We should have had one by now. And it's true. Trump announced the candidacy for president, I believe, in 2000. It was either 2000 or 96 or 04. It was right in that pocket and didn't get anywhere. So, And he was the exact same person back then, I assure you. Trump, since his balls dropped, has been the exact same person his entire life. There is no arc to him. He is always right where you left him, okay? So he was the exact same person. The ecosystem wanted nothing to do with him. It did not exist mm -hmm. for him to exploit. But in 2016, everything lined up just right. right. Right, and you know, these people that do come along once in a generation, if they don't have fertile soil in which yeah. to take root, they yeah. get nowhere. So exactly. he, I mean, it's, it's, I hate any comparison to Adolf Hitler, but just for the purpose of this, of this one thing, yeah. Hitler himself could not have come to power if it wasn't for the Treaty of Versailles. Yeah. He, there's no way that he would have found, he, he would have found a, a platform if, you know, the <clears throat> Allies hadn't screwed Germany over so badly after yeah. World War One, right? And, they were so many yeah. In play and the fact that they came from the Kaiser and there was this, you know, the whole the whole uh, royalty of, uh, yeah. you know, and your Bismarck uh, needed to be old enough to not give a rat's ass right. about giving up power. Like, I just want to go to some place and ski and eat yeah. and I yeah. don't care anymore. Here, yeah. fine, run the country. What do, what do I give a fuck? Yeah, all these as things. As long as you name the battleship after me, I'm fine. Right. <laughs> Don't name a dirigible after me. I know what happens there. <laughs> so, yeah, th th these things need to happen just such a way. But they do. Uh, over a long enough period of time, everything happens. Everything yeah. eventually happens. Yeah. So it's, and again, you could, spot another, uh, you could spot another reason why maybe this did happen. Not enough people knew their history. I am not an expert in history, but I know enough. So that when a guy comes down an escalator in a building with his fucking name on it and says what he says, I know to be wary. I don't think enough people did. I don't think enough no. people had historical perspective to see. When somebody talks like that and walks like that, only one thing is coming. That This is all they're able to bring you. They'll no. dress it up a different way. But that's what they do. You've got to know. You've got to know. And it's right. If you go too far to the left end of the spectrum, you can give away too much. You know, oh, yeah. you can say, hey, look, we're going to let government handle this. Yeah, but you've got to eventually stop. You, yeah. You've got to preserve enough capitalism to be able to say, uh, yes, I would like to have some choices for me. Thank you very much. So, yeah, you've got to know when this comes, what it looks like. And this is why I mean, this is why I am such a fan of the American Constitution. I, I, I really am. I'm a huge fan of it because, you know, never before was there a system put in place to allow people to to really figure out their differences using a, a, a series of political machinations that didn't rely on bloodlines or groups or nothing. It, it relied on merit. It relied on your willingness to discuss 
the facts and to come to a compromise to get things done for the benefit of all people. And I'm like, that that's that's pretty amazing. That's never happened before. Not yeah. like, you know. There was a lot of the age of reason in there, a lot of the age of enlightenment. Um, I yeah. forget all the different uh, philosophers that influenced them. Locke was one, yeah. I'm pretty sure. And um, and the funny thing is, a lot of the founding fathers were deists. They weren't right. even very religious. Right. They just, they knew that, okay, um, countries typically don't have a charter like this. They just sort of, because it had all been kingdoms, yeah. And usually a kingdom just sort of it's whatever the king wants. And now, you know, there's the Magna Carta, which was a, an incredible Big document deal. because they actually put down a system of laws that, you know, there's the Domesday book. We're going to we're going to start measuring everybody's land and we're going to start taking a census. And obviously civilizations had done things like this. But yes, I, I think what a lot of people don't understand and even I, I think, don't have a real grasp of it. Just how unique our Constitution is. It, uh, countries usually don't get to um, start that way. Right. They don't usually get to begin with a document like that. Right. So, I mean, most of the time, they were either a part of a kingdom that has just continued to exist, or they were a former, um, uh, basically, subject of a kingdom, and they sort of start their own charter, but a lot of that happened after the United States came into being. Because right. the Age of Empires ended or started to wane right around the time the U.S. started to come up in the world. Right, exactly. And then that became its own beacon of a new way of doing things. Yeah. And had influence on the French Revolution. It had influence on yeah. the, the, the places, too. Um, you know, you look at the birth of democracy in Greece. I mean, they, they, that was hard fought to get there. Yeah. You know, they, and it didn't they, even they, last. Yeah. I mean, they had a, they had a few good decades, basically. <laughs> yeah. A few, few good yeah. golden years there, you know. And then the Romans came. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. So, uh, so, uh, uh, how, how did you get into voice over there, Trevor? <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's the standard story, you know, I'd been doing it all my, I've been doing it since a little kid and then, uh, fell backwards into it and didn't know it was a career. And then one day addition uh, for it's really, I'm just, it's so boring. The story <laughs> so boring. after, after we talk about, you know, different uh, political movements and history <laughs> and 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 the importance of nuance and and yeah. seeing both sides it's like i do people really want to know how you came up with the character in that video game well actually some do in fact most people aren't going to even get this far because in the first 90 <laughs> seconds i didn't start asking you about voiceover and they're just going well fuck that just gonna, let me just keep fast forwarding no so they're still that, on politics is, is that the uh, is that the uh, focus of your of your show of your of your audience is they it, want to it, know about that stuff well let's put it this way it's never my focus but it's the focus of my audience i have about fifty thousand subscribers right okay and most of them are here because they love a character i do in a video game called apex legends and they love pathfinder and they love the game and most of them come and watch those videos and when i have an actor on if they really like them usually it's because they're a part of the game if they're an actor that they know and they like, we talk about the business, we talk about process and craft, but we also talk about life. And if you want to talk about your journey, if you want to talk about mental health, if you want to talk about the state of the world. David Sobolov and I had a conversation where it was about 45 minutes voiceover, and then we just took an abrupt hard left into politics. <laughs> like deep. I had to cut out about 15 minutes of it because we were making predictions about the election. Oh, yes. And we ended up being fairly accurate. Like, I predicted Biden would get more than 300 electoral college votes, and he's going to get that. 
But we we were still saying what if, what if, and I thought that's not going to really play well. But we left in a lot of it. Yeah. And he's he's Canadian. He's with you. He says I, I think sometimes my brethren on the left go a little too far. They're not empathetic enough. Yeah. Maybe they need to cut people on the right a little bit of a break. You yeah. know. And we're not excusing the people on the right. We're just saying, how about the prodigal son? Let them return. You know. And yep. I'm not religious either, but I'll go biblical if I can. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, we can take these hard left and right turns because that's what a I, that's what a conversation should be. I don't want to keep playing to only one niche. I'm daring my viewers with every single podcast I do to listen to something they weren't expecting. And most of them aren't going to do it. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> this video is not going to get 50,000 views the first week. It's going to get a... It's going to get a fraction of that, like all of them do, unless I bring on somebody who is like deeply entrenched in the game that they love. Right, right, right. So, yeah, now, people will watch. You've got fans. I've got some fans. People are going to watch, and some people might take it to the comments, and then we might see this flame war happen in the comments about Trump, and it'll be my fault because I started it. <laughs> With technology being what it is, the fact that you can have a full setup at home and do everything you need to do to work on these wonderful shows. Do you sometimes wonder if you need to remain in L.A.? Oh, dude, this is this has been the conversation all year. It's an expensive town. Like, yeah. I need to stay here. I'm on The Simpsons. And when the pandemic lifts, I just know that we're going to go back to Fox. And we're going to record there. And I can't wait. I, I will love yeah. it. But if I didn't have that, if I could live anywhere, I would think about it because I want to have a lot of space and room. So... What goes through your mind? Well, so I have a separate studio building on the property, and okay. it it I, I put a bunch of money into the booth this year to make it just right. I've had techs tell me it's oh it's one of the top three best sounding rooms in L.A. It's great. Right. So I'm very proud of it. I, uh, I love it. I love it in here. I do everything in this in this building, um, but it is very expensive, obviously, to to be here. Yeah. Um, you know, the city was very unstable over the summer with all the rioting and stuff. And it makes makes you think, eh, do I really want yeah. to be right here. Um, my situation is this. I look at this and I go, this right now, of all of us working remotely, I have a very good setup. Mm -hmm. So technicians know, they, they trust me. They're like, right. you're going to sound great, so it's fine. Um, presumably, if I was to move to, I don't know, Texas or something, mm -hmm. I would have the same kind of audio setup and it would be fine. It's yeah. But... I think to myself, okay, this could last. This could become the norm. Mm -hmm. Not, not, not like every session's going to be remote. But right. I think what could be the norm is, oh, today half the cast is remote and half the cast is coming in. Mm -hmm. I think that could become the norm. And if that's the case, then yeah, I could work anywhere I want. If it's not the norm, if people go back to work. And they assume, okay, let's get back because it's better when it's in person. Because it yeah. is. It's yeah, like, it is. But at the beginning of this, with a table read, mm -hmm. if you're not there in person with the immediacy of the audience, it's not the same thing. And the writers don't get the same experience to hear their script right. with a reaction, which is the whole fucking point of a yeah. table. So <clears throat> I, I have always believed, in, in I've been doing this for 20 years, and I've always believed, I used to teach a lot too, and I would tell these students at various universities and colleges and acting schools and stuff that you have to be in the city. You have to be in town. You, you have to be, you have to be committed to the place mm -hmm. because when the call comes, you got to be there. Yeah. And 
so especially Canadians that try and do the back and forth thing. He who tries to exist in both cities winds up existing in neither. Mm -hmm. And so I believe as well, I'm a writer and I have a writing career here as well. And I know that you would think, oh, well, you can do that from anywhere. Yeah, but you can't take the lunch meeting from everywhere. For that, you got to be here. And so I think, I don't know if I want to stay in L.A. itself. Like I've thought, well, maybe I'll go to, you know, maybe I'll go to the coast. Maybe I'll go up the coast a little bit or maybe I'll go yeah. to Riverside or who the hell knows. Yeah, that's right? still, that's one drive in and you're okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or Palm Springs or something. That, right. That's doable. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's not what I was thinking. What I was thinking was, well, no, no, no. I should move to a place where there's much lower taxes, lower cost of living, like a, like Austin or, a, or Dallas or mm -hmm. Nashville or whatever. But A, I've never been to any of those places, really. So I don't know anything about it. I got and family I, in Austin. They, I could tell you all about Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, But I'm also like, uh, there's just a part of me that says... In a year's time, once this pandemic is over, people are going to want to go back. They're, they're mm -hmm. going to want to go back to at least a semblance of what it was like. And if I'm not here for that, like like Roger, Roger Craig Smith, he he packed up and <coughs> bought a place in Boise, and that's where he is now. And he's planning on being there as sort of a permanent thing. And he doesn't know whether, you know, what's going to happen in a year. He's, he said that to me directly. He's like, uh, <laughs> we'll see if I'm still going to be yeah, desirable. Is, I may have to get an apartment, you know. Yeah, right, right. And he's totally willing to do that. And that's great. I, yeah. I don't want to be doing that. I don't want to have to be in a situation where I live in Dallas, but now I have to fly in for four days and stay in some apartment in L.A. because I have to be in the room that week. Right. Because what's the point of living in Dallas then? I'm just basically still living in L.A., except now I have to fly back and forth all the time. And I did that to Vancouver the first two years I was here, and it was a nightmare. I was in the air more often than I was on the ground, and it got mm -hmm. very tiring. Um, so I don't know. I, I, what's the industry going to look like? I, I'm very hesitant to make any assumptions. As much as I would love to be able to buy a big, beautiful house for less than half a million dollars somewhere and you know, uh, you know, have all of that stuff, <clears throat> I don't think it's realistic to, to assume that I can do this from anywhere else. Because, you know, I'm fairly established here now. I've done very yeah. well. But at the same time, I like the people and I like the with the humans and I like being in the with the humans in the room and the laughs and the stuff and then going for lunch afterwards. And, you know, I, I like that. I, I miss human fucking beings. You know, I, I miss looking in, into someone's eyes rather than looking at their eyes, looking at my chest, which is what, you know, every, any kind of zoom is because you're never yeah. looking at the camera. You're right, always looking right. at the other person. Right. So, you know, the humanity is lost there. Right. When you're yeah. just talking to these ones and zeros instead of an actual human. And I miss that. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm I don't know. And I've, I've put so much work into this property now, into this house. Yeah, I did a bunch of renovations and everything, and now the house is exactly the way I want it. Do I really want to walk away from it right when I got it comfortable? I don't know. Seems like yeah. There's there's a lot to be said for this city. I've lived here for 23 years. That's longer than I've ever lived in any other city. And um, so I'm more of an Angelino, more of a Californian than I am a Georgian. And I grew up in Georgia, but I moved here. And it's been, yeah, it's been 23 years. And... Yes, living somewhere else is also part of, you know, the arc of life. And uh, my wife and I would like to maybe give our kids a chance to experience another place. But it would be when my career allows for it. So that right. becomes the question. Does your career allow for it? So if you're an A-list star, you can live anywhere. They'll, they'll 
patch you in no matter what. They'll work around you. That's not what we are. That's right. not what our value is in this business. Now, for if you're just doing video games and commercial stuff, yeah, they, they, I've never done an ensemble video game. It's never happened. Ensemble commercials, extremely rare. Usually, you can just do those from anywhere. But we do animation, too. There are an ensemble animation uh, productions that thrive in that atmosphere. And there's a reason for that, for that. Like you say, it's because it's so much better when you can do it that way. And then you think to yourself, even if I could leave and I did leave, you have to be okay with losing some of what LA offers you. Some of the best museums anywhere, some of the best weather anywhere, very, very cool activities and events all the time. Yes, there's a lot of tiresome aspects of it. Yes, the traffic is the worst in the world. You know, well, worst in a developed country. <laughs> I don't want to compare it to what it's like in Caracas right now because my wife's told me it's pretty awful. But the point being, there's so much about this place. And I've built so many memories here. I would miss going to the Huntington. I would miss going to Jerry's Deli. I right. would miss going to the um, the Burger Lounge that we now have made a regular thing. I would miss all kinds of things that we built a life doing. In addition to the fact that, yes, I would miss hanging out with my voiceover tribe. Yeah. Just the, the audition waiting rooms. A voiceover yeah. audition waiting room is one of the most fun places on earth because nobody's hung up about whether or not they're going to get it. They're here to party. It's not yeah. an on-camera waiting room. It's a different yeah, animal. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'd miss some of that. So you'd have to find your tribe somewhere else. You yeah. can find your tribe in Austin. Austin prides itself on being unique and weird, but it's growing. It's growing with a lot of former Angelinos. Yes. So the traffic is starting to look like L.A. Yeah. The property is starting to look like L.A., although you can still buy a damn condo. We could buy acres in Austin for what we paid for our condo here. Acres. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's a question everybody has to ask themselves. And, and everybody is. I mean, I've had this conversation with virtually all of my colleagues this, this year at some point because everyone's had that thought like, well, do we really need to be here or do we want to be here? And it's different if you, again, if you're raising kids and they're going to school and all that stuff. But, but, but even then, it's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Because I never really had like a burning desire to live in L.A. That was never, I didn't want to oh, really? come here at all. No, I had no interest in the States. None. Zero. Huh. I had a perfectly great career back home everything was awesome and then one thing led to another and it was this opportunity of oh we should come down i'm like oh, i don't want to go to fucking la are you kidding all right i'll go and i'll live in la for a year and, do the <laughs> thing, and then i'll go home and get back to work but things worked out and next thing i know i was working a lot and i thought oh, i guess i'm staying here but so for the past seven years it's i i haven't been able to shake this idea that this is just a working vacation uh-huh so, you know what I mean? Like, well, maybe yeah, it I is. And, but it's just maybe a it vacation. It's a seven year. It's a seven year vacation. Seven year vacation. Yeah. <laughs> I I think not enough people realize um, because we come from this uh, this tradition of working one job and just working it your whole life and then retiring. But our generation was probably the last one that could do that. I have high school alumni that got one job, kept it, and they're thinking about their retirement. You know, it's 15 years away, but they're able to think about their retirement. And I think that's the last generation that could do that. The conditions existed for that. Everybody else has to sort of get used to the idea that you may choose one thing and it may reject you after a while, or you may reject it after a while. You may say, I'm interested in doing something else. 
a person might have five careers in their life and be very happy with all of them. Yeah. So our, our careers that we used to think of were these 40, 50 hour weeks and there were these nine to five jobs and everything was much more in one particular lane, almost a rut as it were. That's not really the way the world turns now, especially not here. And I think people would do well to open their thinking up a bit and think, um, maybe I will have three or four careers and they'll all yeah. be successful. Maybe one of them would be horrible, but I needed to try it. Yeah. So, you know, you can do this from anywhere. You know that. And you'll be able to work from anywhere. But yes, if you were to move out of town, you'd have a different career. Yeah. You, you might work just as much, but you wouldn't have the access to the people in the city. Right. And There's that's a lot exactly, to be said. Totally. That's what it really comes down to. Every single time I think about it, I come back to that moment of, okay, but I can't take the lunch meeting <laughs> if I live in another state. It's just not going to happen. And, and that, that, that spontaneous thing that can happen that has got me so far in my career here because, oh, well, I was at the session and, you know, got to know the producer and now I'm at a poker game with all these other producers and writers and next thing I know I'm being offered this job because I know a guy from here. That shit don't happen if I'm living in Nashville. Right. You know, that only happens if you're here in the room. And uh, as long as the room is still in L.A., then that's kind of where I got to be, I think. Yeah. I mean, this is where the dream factory is. This is where all the sausages get made. A lot of things do originate somewhere else. And there are factories in other cities that if you were to go to Austin, Robert Rodriguez is set up there. Some other filmmakers are set up there. But it's not like here. And yes, there is something special about walking into Disney Tunes into their studios or Warner Brothers or Sony or Fox. You're trotting the same boards that Charlton Heston, Gregory Peck, Jack Nicholson. I, I mean, I uh, Medal of Honor is a game that's coming out in about a month. Uh, when this video is up, it'll, it'll be much sooner. Medal of Honor is a respawn game. We did performance capture at Chaplin Studios over, uh, well, Jim Henson Studios, but it used to be Charlie Chaplin Studios. I was walking on the same studio floor that Charlie Chaplin walked on, and I was giving a performance on the same floor that he gave a performance on, and that was not lost on me. Yeah. And I thought, this is why I specifically wanted to come to L.A. I, like most of us, I had L.A. in my sights, and I made it happen, and I got to walk the same halls, and I'll never ever be able to replace that anywhere else in the world. Somewhere else in the world will offer me something different. Right. And I'm sure it'll be amazing. But this specific experience I've been getting, I can only get here. Exactly. I have to factor that in. And when I when I moved down here as well, I, you know, I, I had no intention of staying. I had no intention of succeeding at all. Mm -hmm. I, I literally thought I'll be here a year. I'll book some guest star in a Disney princess show. That'll be that. I'll go home. I'll do a radio spot. That'll be enough there. I worked in LA. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, but, uh, when, when I, when I came down here and I started to work and I started to, to see, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm on the lot. I'm uh -huh. on the Warner brothers lot. Now I'm working, I'm working at the ranch where they, they did, you know, Bugs Bunny and, and mm -hmm. all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's actually, that's pretty cool. But the other thing that always went through my head was if you go to say, if you're Canadian and you go to Vancouver and you fail, uh, okay, well, that's okay. 
there's other places you can hit, other places you could try. But if you go to L.A. and you fail, that's it. This is the mecca. This there's no other place. This is the place. So if you come and succeed, congratulations. But if you come and you fail, uh, it's not like there's some other Hollywood you can. You know what I mean? So that was always yeah. in my head. Um, I mean, you can go other places and probably do well, but yes, the ceiling here is exactly. the sky. Yeah, that, I, I was in. Yeah, I was in Orlando for four years. There was a low ceiling. Right. You know, you couldn't really make a living as an actor there. You could get parts and you right. could get your training wheels off, and then you came here, and that's what I did. Right. In 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 Van, there there was a ceiling too, but it. We we all the the at that time when I when I was working in Vancouver, there was like thirty of us that did everything. Mm-hmm. So. We had a very, very comfortable lifestyle. It was great, yeah. very tight-knit community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got paid a lot of money. <laughs> it was, it yeah. was a great life. Um, the one that I was hesitant to leave. For yeah, of reasons. course. It's a golden cage. It was. It totally was. And it was a cage because I started to realize that I can only get so far here. I can only yeah. – I'm never going to be – so here, here was my here was my litmus test, okay? And it's so stupid. It's so, it's so egotistical. But this was the litmus test. For years and years and years, <laughs> I'd be on a plane, okay? And you're flying to wherever you're going, and uh, the person beside you would just say, oh, you know, you get talking, and that person would say, uh, so what do you do? And you'd say, well, actually, I, I do cartoon voices. And mm-hmm. they'd say, oh, really? really? That's so amazing. They'd do that whole thing. And yeah. then inevitably the question, so what, have you, what, what would I have seen you on? And I'd say it, and I'd see their eyes glaze over. <laughs> didn't know what shows were that I was doing. And my litmus test was one day I will be on a show where I say the name and they'll go, oh, yeah. Yeah. So that is when I got the opportunity to come here. I was like, aha, if I work in L.A., I'll be, working, I'll be able to work on those high-profile shows that I can say to the person, the stranger on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> That's the measure of success. Does the stranger on the plane who you'll never see again recognize <laughs> the name of the show you're on right now you know yeah and you know what that's that's a very artist thing to say too because we're always thinking of an audience you have to you have to consider the audience now you have to do it your way if you want to be a real artist but you should never shun them or dismiss them you should keep them in mind and if you're thinking about well if this person recognizes the show i'm on that means i reached them they're aware of it in some strange passive indirect way I have reached them. The the things I have decided to do to express my art have made it into that person's consciousness. So I know that I'm not just jerking off here, you right. know, because so much of what we do is masturbatory. I know I shouldn't say that on a Zoom call, um, <laughs> but, but so much of what we do just seems to be so self-indulgent. But when you realize you've reached somebody, when yeah. you can have an airplane conversation and realize, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's harder to get that in a smaller market, and that's why so many people come here. This yeah. gives you the chance to hit that. Yeah. So for me, when I got efforts for family, that was that was a big deal because Mike Mike just basically gave me that job because I had known him from Lego Star Wars because I was uh-huh. I was his Emperor Palpatine for years mm-hmm. and years on Lego Star Wars, and so when this came up, I remember I was at a Simpsons table read actually when oh uh, were you not not performing but as an audience no. <clears throat> and um. And Mike got the call. <clears throat> just got the call there. So at that table read, oh he nice, me and went, hey, uh, um, uh, I need you. I need you. And I was like, I'm yours. 
<laughs> Wait a minute. Mike knows he's not supposed to have his cell phone on during a table read. So right away, I got to tell Mike next time. I, yeah. No, that's that's an awesome story. You're at you're at one yeah. show and you find out you get to be on another show. Yeah. And that never happened back home. That when back home in the Vancouver system, in the Vancouver studio system, uh-huh. <laughs> you basically did a show and then bang, you reset to zero. Right. You, you, you were never given jobs that, that yeah. didn't happen. you had to come in and audition for that one line role the, there used to be this thing called the walk of shame i hope they don't do it anymore but i'm sure <laughs> they do. The walk of shame audition was always this there'd be a show and you'd be called in at 8 45 a.m with three other guys the show records at nine and there's a guest spot in the episode and all all four of you go in you do your audition and whoever gets the job stays for the stays. session. Three do the walk of shame. And I'm like, that's got to be wrong. That has to be wrong. <laughs> that has no. to be breaking the rules somewhere. No, it happens. It happens here. It doesn't happen anymore because there's a pandemic. But And it hardly happens even before the pandemic. But for ADR, for voice matching. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't experience this more. But, oh, I did that a lot. Because you would get called, all right, you got to be at Sony today. Or it's the end of the day. You got to be there tomorrow. You got to you have to voice match this person, and they'll call in like eight or ten of you. Only one's going to get to stay. Oh. Right then and there, they choose, and the rest of you, uh, you guys want to go get a bite? <laughs> you know, I ain't going to waste the trip. You know, I'm fucking out now. You know, I may as well go oh, get a bite. I'm so yeah, so you, you go have a lunch of shame. You know, but <laughs> but it happens. Yeah, somebody wins, and I've been the winner, and I've been the loser. Winning's more fun, but losing still. I Nolan North and I talked about this. We're, we're he's one of my oldest friends in this business. Sometimes we didn't mind if we didn't get it because three of our buddies would be there and we'd go have a beer. It's like you yeah. know what? Let's touch base because it's yep. rare that we see each other out. Yep. And yes, you get to be on the lot. I mean, one of the coolest experiences in this business is driving onto the lot, yep. getting your own spot. Getting to walk in, getting to work with the director of the project. And sometimes it's not even the ADR director of the project. It's the actual director of the movie. And they're directing you and you're on the same soundstage that all these classic actors were on. And then you leave and they've paid you and you're doing the same things that you did as a kid that you were, you know, called out for doing. Yep. That's, That's hard to get anywhere else. And so get as, I'm trying to get as much of that as I can. For the one day when I finally say, okay, I've had my run and I'm going to step aside or I'm just going to see what I can get somewhere else. I'm nowhere near it. Let's put it this way. As long as my show or not my show, the show I'm on is on. I'm here. Right. Not going anywhere. Right. So, you know, if there's a world where I don't have anything going on here, yeah, I'll take a look and I'll have to say to myself, I'm okay with not having any more of those moments because those moments that you're talking about only happen in one city. Yeah, exactly. And th- that that really is the biggest thing that makes me go because I'm not ready to walk away from it. As you no. said. You've I, only I, had seven years. Yeah, right. I could move somewhere and I could keep working remotely. I know I know, I could, but but that's not really the point. The, yeah. the point isn't that because you're right. That That is basically the end of your career. Yes, you're still working, but it's the end of your career. Because you're not you're not having the full experience of it. Yeah. So I guess I've just answered myself. You know. And so have I. I mean, I look, I've had 17. No, I've had 20 years of being a working voice actor. But I've had about 18 where I was really earning a real living, like living like an adult. And the last 
10 or 12 have been amazing. So yeah. I, and I'm here to tell you, I ain't tired of it. <laughs> I mean, it's that good. It's that fun. The experiences are that amazing. A pandemic year is, um, is a great way to step back and reassess and realize you, we've been given perspective. How yep. great were those experiences? Have they been? And how great is it going to be when we get to go back? When you get to get back in your car, drive onto a lot, right? go to your soundstage and say, ah, yes, this is what I missed. And you know? also, we were the only ones in the entertainment industry in the first half of this whole business that going. could keep working. That was yeah. huge. You know? I, haven't, I haven't missed a single job. No, me neither. Yeah. Me neither. In fact, I had one of the busiest summers I've ever had this year. Me too. I, I have to admit, um, the, let's see, the day before I had a video game job, it was March 15th, I think was the job. The day before, I bought Source Connect. I did a little bit of research and I thought, I think I'm going to need to get this. The very next day, I did the video game job. I said, look, I, I don't think I should come in. There had not been a lockdown yet. But I said, I'm getting over a cold and I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And as soon as I said that, they said, you stay. Right. Stay where you are. We'll record you. It's no big deal. Later that week, I had a Simpsons uh, record session. We started doing the table reads. March 19th, lockdown. Since then, I've been as busy as I've ever been. I even did a loop group, which I hardly ever do. I did that from home. I've had one or two offers to come in and I've said, no, I can't risk it. But for the most part, no, I have not lost a single job because of the yep. pandemic. It's all been straight from here, the studio. Yep, yep so exactly. We're insanely lucky because of that. Totally, totally. And I, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't count my blessings for that. Because uh, I know there's a lot of friends I have who are, well, in many other industries, but especially if they're on yeah. camera types, boy, they that was a rough year. It's hard. Year. It yeah. is hard. It is hard. And... um that's why I do encourage people who are actors who are maybe not working as much as they wanted to. And right now, what they're facing is a lot of uncertainty. I say to them, YouTube is a thing for you to explore. It is possible to build enough of a following to monetize it. Or it is possible to simply use it to start building an audience that maybe you use to create a product that you can pitch when things get back to normal. Go make something happen. I mean, it was really hard to do when I was in my 20s. You had to know somebody who had equipment. That's right. The you amount know. of people that tell me my show on Me, Myself, and Die on YouTube, uh, the amount of fans I have that say, oh, my God, this should be a Netflix show. This should be a Netflix show. And I'm like, <laughs> call the producers. <laughs> I mean, yeah. but who knows? Who knows? Maybe someone will stumble across it and go, hey, wait a minute. Well, here's the upside is that... Um, Thanks to your resume, if Netflix ever hears of it, they'll say, who's Trevor Duvall? Oh, he's on one of our properties. Right. All right, he's not nobody. Yeah. <laughs> it makes a difference. Yeah. You, you, you have to be tested in some way. It's, it's rare that they give somebody a shot who has no yeah. experience whatsoever. If you're, I mean, you and I both know this, and, and I know people may not believe it, Yes, there is some nepotism in this business, obviously. But when you hear about somebody getting handed a part, like, yeah, you got handed your part, but you got handed that part, not because you were the first guy in front of Mike's face. It's because he knew what you could do. Right. When they know what you can do and when they know other producers that have worked with you and they can pick up the phone and talk to them and ask, 
then it's easier for them to hire you. Like I got handed my my stuff on F is for Family by Mike. He knew me from The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. I auditioned to get on The Simpsons. They don't hand you anything on on that show to to do what I do on there. Yeah. So you know, um, to already have what you have under your belt, you never know. Somebody from Netflix might just hear about your show and say, you know what, we don't have anything that fills that niche. Yeah. I frankly have never heard of somebody doing what you're doing, so I think it's funny. Uh, well, apparently it's unique. Apparently, there's this the first time that's you know people have uh, somebody's done it. I don't know if there's an audience for it. Or not. Well, well see. not anymore because tomorrow I start my first episode of me myself and Edger Lie. See how I did that? <laughs> oh, believe me, that's something that's on my mind all the time. Some celebrity going to come along and scoop the idea. <laughs> yeah, well, you'd have some sort of copyright issue, I guess. You could say yes. it's on YouTube. It's yep. semi-protected. Ah, they'll they'll find a way. They always find a way to get around it. But <laughs> I did back in 2005. I had a podcast. This was before podcasts were a thing. Right. Called right. Voice Print with Trevor Deval and guests, and it was me interviewing my fellow voice actors. It was basically when we would go to these conventions, we were always asked the same questions. So I thought, well, I'm going to bring the convention. To uh-huh. the ears of the listener, and that's what. And no one had ever done anything like that. That was like, oh wow, this is great. But it was in the early, early, early days, and so no one really heard about it. And then years later, uh, Rob gets the idea to do uh, talking tunes, and of course, because he has the celebrity that he has, it takes off, and everybody thinks, oh wow, what a great idea. And I'm like, well, actually, that was that was me doing that years before. But that's okay. It's fine. It's not. He didn't even steal the idea. He just pulled it from the zeitgeist. But I'm like, scoped. I was robbed, literally in this case. We, my my buddies and I, back in '95, at the beginning of '95, we had the idea to we had the idea in Orlando. We would go shoot a little short film. Which back in '95, you had to know someone who had a camera. You had to know someone who had access to editing equipment. You had to be able to ask permission to use certain areas and all all these things that nobody cares about anymore because they have iPhones. Yep. But we we came up with a sketch idea about what if Forrest Gump was a hitman. <laughs> You know, because Forrest Gump was the biggest movie out there. What was the second biggest movie? Pulp Fiction. So Gump Fiction. And so we came up with Gump Fiction. It was this cute little idea that was sort of half-assed the way we did it. And we made our own little sketch of it. We shot it in and around the uh, local areas of Orlando. We got it played at a local theater in front of the Oscars. And then Mad TV airs later that year. And what was their first sketch they got known for? Gump Fiction. And our editor, who helped us come up with the idea, was livid. He was convinced that they stole it from us. And I said, look, um, they're in L.A. And they have a team of writers. And Gump Fiction, (laughs) as cute as the idea is, is not like no one could have thought of that. (laughs) Exactly. But he, to this day, is convinced they stole it from three Jagoffs in Orlando. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. And I said that this was before the internet. So it's like, no one possibly knew. I mean, well, I sent that tape everywhere. You you sent a tape of it. Oh, okay. Because they love opening mail from Orlando from someone they've never heard of. But to this day. That's how it works here in LA. Don't you know? That's that's how people get jobs. We need an idea for a film. Get me the mail room. (laughs) Well, David Mamet's right outside ready for his meeting. God, fuck him. We need something young, fresh, unknown. What Florida. does Jerry and Des Moines have cooking? <laughs> yeah, so. 
I, I, uh, uh, on your podcast, did you ever take an hour and just get really political and controversial? Hilariously, yeah. And in fact, I had to cut the entire thing out. I did an episode with Richard Ian Cox, who was uh, one of the great Vancouver voice guys. And uh, I forget, this was during the Bush years. And we got on a big, like a 40 minute <laughs> rant about stuff. And I realized I can't use any of this. <laughs> I had to excise the entire thing. Really cut the episode down, but uh, yeah. Well, I, I tell you what, people do need to know where to find you. Where can we find uh, me, myself, and I on YouTube? Well, it, how do how do we spell that? It, uh, uh, me, myself, and die. D I E, like a single die. Single die. Yes. Okay. Me, myself, and die! Exclamation mark. And if you uh, uh, search that, it it should come up. Um, I am on. I have accounts on social media, but I never check them, so that's it's never pointless. Never Point checks him. Don't Facebook. bother. Don't ask Don't him to friend you. He's not going to friend you. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. I'm out, baby. I'm out. <laughs> Trevor's not your friend. Nope. <laughs> Trevor loves you, baby, but he's not your friend. Okay. That's right. That's All right. right. Um, now, do you have a website? Like, you'd like to put your clips uh, up somewhere, or do you use YouTube for that? I, I have a website that I never use. It's trevordevel.com. Gotcha. Uh, no point going there. There's my demos on it. That's about it. It's the abandoned mall. It is. It's the abandoned mall. They just do drone racing in now. It's like nothing's That's happening exactly. there. Exactly. I, as you can tell, I completely suck at this whole self-promotion thing. <clears throat> you know what? If you have enough of a network of people that know you already humming and you have an agent, uh, agents love it when you self-promote. Agents love it when you help them help you. And I get it because I do it. But I also understand if you're working as much as you like to work, then your agent's not going to bitch at you for that either. Yeah. And frankly, the people that I need to know in this town, they already know me. So uh, it's good. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> IMDb's got his credits. Yeah. IMDb is about 95% correct, I've found. Yeah. They, they miss a few things I've done, but otherwise they get it. Obviously, they don't cover the commercials or anything like that, but that's okay. If you've done film, TV, or animation, it's, it's largely there. Yep, it is. Sometimes they screw it up. Sometimes they... Give uh, credit to other people for your work and things like this. I had to. I had to be on them a few years ago for for some X Men show I was on back in the day. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I I check in with them every now and then just to make sure that I'm you know still relevant. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I remember one time uh, I'm the voice of Spider Man at the Amazing Adventures of Spider Man ride at Islands of Adventure in Universal Studios Orlando. All that. I'm Spider Man and J Jonah Jameson on that ride and Peter Parker. Blah blah blah. So I'm on the IMDb as being that guy. There was a little bit of a, a dust up in the beginning when I tried to put the credit up because somebody else was claiming that they were Spider-Man. And mm -hmm. I, I got a taste of what that's like because I would think, you know, I'm an honest person. I would think, why would you say that you're that voice when you know you're not that voice? Why would you say that? Yeah. When it's just clearly not true. Well, some people, I guess, just want... They want the the limelight of just the, even that little credit. And somebody was claiming that that was them. And I would watch them sort of make an argument about it. This is all online. You know, so-and-so said, well, I did this and I did this. And I said, and I only had to say one thing. I said, um, I have video footage of me <laughs> recording the game because Universal sent their own PR team to record us and interview me and it ended up on Nightline, hmm. all right? And not footage of me, but footage of the ride and footage of them making the ride. And I have the exact same footage from the exact same studio, okay? So 
if you want, I can put this up. And then they mysteriously vanished and <laughs> yeah. I got to have the credit, but I don't know if that's ever happened where you had to actually go at somebody and make them take down their claim. For, for me, it was easy enough and it was a minor annoyance, but I know some people have had it harder than that. I've been lucky. I, I had to, I had to go at IMDB cause they miscredited me in this one show and I had to write them and go, uh, actually that was me who played this character. Oh, okay. And then like three days later, they changed it back. And I was like, hey, hey, what did I say? <laughs> but I never actually had to confront anybody who was trying to claim to have done something. Yeah. Although am, this yeah. is this isn't an IMDB thing, but this 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 was really freaky. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine said, uh, oh, so you're in the new Star Wars such and such game. And I was like, I am? And because they had released a trailer and I'm watching this trailer and all of a sudden, this voice from like the PA, some rebel base voice or something, some pilot or something comes over and it's me. Huh. It's clearly me. I don't remember ever saying that, but I was like, what the fuck? And I'm racking my brain. And I remembered I auditioned for this show like three months ago or this game. And I thought, oh my God, did they lift my <laughs> So I had to call the agent, find out what this and this and this. And as it turned out, no, it was some guy, some non-union guy in, I don't know, Atlanta or something, who just happened in that moment to sound exactly like me. So, had to put a hit out on him. And, yeah. You know, that well, was that's, what you that's, that's what you get. That's what you get. But uh, it, was, it was freaky. Like, it was exactly, even I was like, I, I, I think that's me. I think. <laughs> so that was, that was weird. I, yeah, if you're around long enough, sometimes you'll just forget things. And oh, wow. we've been watching a show, and it'll be a show about whatever. And I'll go, that was me. And I'll yeah. look at my wife and say, oh, that, that was me. She, really? Go, yeah, I had forgotten I ever did that. Yeah, uh, yeah that was me. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I get that at when you, back in the before time when we used to do conventions, you know, when people yeah. would congregate. Uh huh. Uh, that used to happen to me all the time, all the time. Some fan would come up and say, oh, can you do the voice of such and such? And I'd be like, uh, and it's, oh, well, it's, it's, it's this anime you did in 2001. And it was my favorite character. He only had three lines, but could you do? And I'm like, go. and I want to help them because I know yeah. it's such a big deal for them. But I'm like. I have no idea. So you just make something up and hope you're close. I guess. <laughs> just, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The last thing they want to hear is, hey, this is just a job for me, pal. Yeah. You know, that's the last thing they want to hear, even though it's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I Well, I get asked canon questions all the time about certain well, shows. Like, I'm on Naruto. You've probably done Naruto, too. Maybe. Well, then it's the one job maybe you haven't done. It's anime. And they've done hundreds of episodes of it. And every now and then, someone will ask me a canon question about Naruto. And I'll just be honest with you and I'll, uh, with them. And I'll just say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about the show. I know a little bit about my character and I can answer basic questions about him. But if you ask me about so-and-so's power versus this person, I'll just say, I I don't want to disappoint you with the bullshit answer because I don't have one. And there you are know. some guys that love that stuff. There's some guys that just totally get into the show and they get yeah. big fans of it. I got to tell you, I've watched exactly two shows that I've ever done. One is F is for Family and the other is Lego okay. Star Wars. Other than that, I don't really watch... I kind of got the Michael Caine thing where I can't watch myself on screen. I get uh, all I can see are the mistakes, you uh, know? So uh, when people ask me, oh, well, what this, this, or they get, I, I just, I can't, I can't get into it. I, I just, um, 
<clears throat> I don't know enough about it. It's funny because it makes me think uh, when you and I would like riff in the uh, in sort of the margarita mix waiting room before we'd go in, you know, we would just go back and forth. And I remember you would do a Bill Shatner, you know, both of us could kind of we kind of do a Bill Shatner. There's different phases of his career that you could do when you're doing Bill Shatner. My guess is William Shatner probably loves to watch his work. He probably <laughs> makes everyone else in the room shut up. Quiet. <laughs> Season two. <laughs> Some of my best work, you know, and I just get the feeling I could be totally wrong and frequently am, but I get the feeling that he probably loves to watch. His yeah. Stuff. Yeah. I think so. I think so. I, I can't stand it. There was, I did a, a, a Marvel, I think it was an X-Men thing. I was playing Colossus, I think many years ago back home and, and I was in the studio uh, for a different project and uh, the technician came out and he saw me in the waiting room. He said, Hey, I'm, I'm mixing that those episodes we did. You come in and check it out. I was like, Oh, okay. So I go in and, He's mixing it, and uh, and I come on doing the Colossus thing, and he's like, ah, it's pretty good, huh? And I said, I gotta tell you, I don't know why they keep hiring me. I just, <laughs> I do not understand, because <laughs> all I can hear are the errors. That's <laughs> funny. For me, it's a mixed bag. If I really like, if I like what I did, I'll say, okay, yeah, yeah, good, I can watch it. Other times, I go, eh, maybe I was just the best one they could find. Maybe they were in a hurry. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I deserve to be on that show, but you know, I, I, yeah, that's, that's why I look at something like, uh, what you would do is you would do this William Shatner doing rocket man. And I thought, Oh, that's spot on. And I thought maybe that's the one thing he can't bear to watch, but wouldn't it be great if that's the one thing where he's proudest of it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like that one thing, (laughs) the spoken word rocket man. Have is, you have you seen the original? Like, have you seen the actual? Oh, I, we talked about that. Not only have I seen it, but it killed. <laughs> oh, yeah. The audience loved it. Oh, I, I think maybe they, they didn't quite know what they were seeing, but they just loved him. I think people walked out of that auditorium maybe with a vague sense that we might have been wrong to love that. <laughs> but it's taken know. a turn. I, I think that back then they were all thinking, far out, man. Yeah. Far. They they were clapping for him as he was introducing him. They were, oh, they were so stoked for him. And those of you that don't know, just Google William Shatner, Rocket Man. And if you're young, first just Google Rocket Man. The Mm -hmm. the movie itself is is a fun movie, but just listen to the song Rocket Man. All right. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. Then once you've seen Shatner doing it, you have to Google Stewie Griffin doing Shatner doing Rocket Man. Exactly. (laughs) Packed my bags last night, pre-flight. Pre-flight. Yeah. Pre-flight, flight, flight. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to be high as yeah. by then. Yeah, I think she's going to be <laughs> high. Yes. So what you have to understand is Rocket Man as a song is a beautiful piece. of. It's, it's a little treacly, but a lot of Elton John's songs are. But it's beautiful because it's so earnest. And then here comes William Shatner. Striding the earth like a colossus, saying... Oh, if you think that's over the top, just wait. Spotlight, stool, cigarette. Yeah. <sighs> Back my bag last night. Six yeah. Night flight. <laughs> it is as though someone spread Nutella over all of the scenery and said, here's a bib, William, have at it. And he didn't stop there. I think he was on the Mike Douglas show doing It Was a Very Good Year. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Rocket Man is one thing, but it was a very good year. 
There are no studio tricks. It's just him in front of a live audience with a with a boom mic over him. And once I again, thirty four. It, it was, was a, when I was that came undone when I was twenty one. Oh yeah, and he's actually inhabiting the body of a seventeen. When I was seventeen. <laughs> It was a very good year. So again, Google, it was a very good year. Frank Sinatra, beautiful song. A little too earnest, but beautiful. It's a slice of life. And then along comes Shatner. (laughs) Step aside, Frank. I've got my own thing going. There's not many things I can't approve on, as you're about to find. (laughs) It is. And oh, my God. Thank you. Thank heavens that those things exist. That and, of course, um, I don't know, uh, Orson Welles doing anything oh. by the time he reaches the 70s, the 1970s. Just And then yeah. you have to watch Orson Welles trying to sell Palmasan wine. Then you have to watch the outtakes where he's drunk. And then you have to Google Maurice LaMarche doing yes. Orson Welles. Yeah. And then you've got you've nailed the trifecta. There's a trifecta out there. And I'm sure Maurice LaMarche probably does a perfect Bill Shatner Oh, yeah. doing all these things but i think i've i think i've taken enough of your time sir three hours ought to do it you take care you enjoy your awesome kick-ass studio which i will want to see when this all lifts i'm right all right be well sir you too